Welcome back, my friends, to the show that never ends. We're so glad you could attend. Come inside, come inside. Come inside, the show's about to start. Guaranteed to blow your head apart. This is the Shannon Smith Shooting Podcast. Guess it up. Welcome back, my friends, back to the Shannon Smith Shooting Show podcast. Thanks for joining me again. Appreciate all the great feedback I get from everybody. I run into folks at matches all the time, and they bring up the podcast. I've mentioned this before. I know there's analytics you can look up to to see how many people are listening or if anybody's listening. Um, but I've just never even made the effort to look it up. I don't. Uh, I don't really care. It's, it crosses my mind from time to time, but this whole thing started because I was figured I'm sitting around thinking about this stuff most of the time anyway so why not just say it out loud and benefit some of my students and listeners and so I appreciate the feedback uh, I'm glad to hear it's working for you folks remember you can reach me on my Facebook page or website at Shannon Smith Shooting uh, let me know anything else you'd like to hear what you like or don't like or more importantly questions you might have it gives me some some fodder to talk about as I'm driving along. So we got another edition of the truck cast coming up here. Um, wanted to rewind real quick, and this is going to be a more competition-based show. But uh, I talked about you know the self-defense aspect of having guns around the home, and now all of a sudden I've got a, a baby around the house who's walking now and climbing up on the couch and grabbing anything within reach. Uh, so I was concerned with you know what to do with the firearms, and I. Looked at a lot of options. I, I, I tried some some of the barometric or barometric biometric safes. Uh, one of them was even a pretty high end one, and as I expected, they just they don't work. And you know, it would work one out of three times or six out of ten times, and you know that's just that's not going to work. And I, I I did troubleshooting on this on this one. I even called their their hotline and. You could set like, I think, 10 different sets or 20 different sets of fingerprints or something that it would recognize. And they said, well, set your your own fingerprint as like the first five options. You know, that'll give him more data uh, to go on. I was like, all right, that sounds fair. So I tried that. It was better, but still not 100%. And, you know, I never thought it would be. I mean, my iPhone, my iPhone, not 100% with that thumb screen turner offer thing and if Steve Jobs can't figure it out I don't figure some random safe company can figure out and uh, I gave him one more chance called back and they said well sometimes if you have dry skin that can cause it to have difficulty reading every time you know I'm like I'm a ginger in Florida I'm always sunburned yeah I got dry skin so if you expect me to moisturize when I hear a thump in the middle of the night before I can access my gun that ain't gonna happen but I gave it a shot, so I got rid of got rid of that. Ended up going with the Liberty brand. I've had a Liberty, you know, full size safe since the sometime in the '90s, and uh, just a, a good old dial combo combo, and it performed flawlessly. I use it every day, so I'm a big fan of the Liberty brand. So I went with a bunch of their 100 series models, which is the it's got the four finger key thing imajigger. And then I went with one of their larger, I think, two or 200 or 250 series, I forget, uh, for my bedside. 
So that's good enough to hold the Glock, Glock 19 and uh, a bunch of AR mags. So I can still have the AR uh, accessible. I just keep it unloaded and uh, it's not the emergency go-to anyway. And then I've got the, the gun by my bed and the wife's bed and bedside and uh, and a few other places around the house. So and my carry gun for my, my little dump drawer when I come in and drop the keys and gun and all that stuff. Uh, so it's been working good. I've had that set up for a month or so now, maybe two months, and um, not ideal. I'd rather have them quickly or accessible, but uh, obviously safety for the families first, and that's why we have them to begin with. And uh, So I'm happy with this system. I think it's going to work out great. I just want to throw that out there. I know we talked about it in the past. Uh, so I'll jump right into the questions. i got a few, a few questions online, and uh, some of them are quite expansive. So the first one from Matthew is uh, I'll read the question I, I think he's asking it as one but I'm going to break it down into two but he says how do you control your emotions and ego in a match do you play it safe or just go for it uh, so he phrased that kind of as one question but I'm going to I'm going to break it up and uh, controlling the emotions or ego we've talked about this before and um, you know that's something you definitely got to learn learning to shoot as I've often said is one thing learning to compete is something else and you have to learn both of those skills uh, independently and then combine them together in order to be successful in the competition circuit. Just like a tactical class, I, you know, I say you got to learn how to shoot for the sake of shooting, then learn how to, to fight with a handgun. You know, I'm not going to start you off shooting from retention at, at two yards. That's, that's not the point. Um, so from the competitive aspect, you know, I have not learned a way to teach managing your emotions or managing your ego. I don't, I don't know if ego is the word I would use. I don't really feel that there's much ego in the game. Uh, and that's the cool thing about competition is it'll shut you up real quick because you can you can talk a good game on the internet, but when you're standing on the line of the match, you know, it doesn't matter what you say, you got to step up there and perform. So I don't, I don't see ego so much as the right word, uh, but I do see emotion uh, or nerves or as, I, as you know, I call it the juice. And, you know, working under those conditions, uh, I haven't felt it, I found a really good way to train that. I mean, you can play games with yourself and games with a training partner. That'll, that'll add a little bit of juice, but, you know, nothing like stepping up to a major match or a national championship or a world championship. Uh, and it's something that I've I've struggled with in the years past. I think I've, I've, I manage it pretty well now, and I'm doing pretty good with it. But, you know, if you listen to the World Shoot podcast, that was a problem I had at the World Shoot, which I'm not proud of, and I don't want to rehash it. But I think the enormity of the match was a level – was a level up that I'm that I don't have that much experience working in, so that stuff creeped back in on me. Uh, I used to struggle with that at the nationals, national level matches, um, and now not so much anymore. Now, you know, really, my my first stage of the nationals these days is usually one of my better stages. I oftentimes, you know, place well on that stage or or even win the stage with the the squad I'm on a lot. So uh, I feel that's going well. And the answer is, it just takes experience, man. I wish there was a better answer, but you know, the more times you can put yourself in that situation, the, the better off you're going to learn to deal with it. And everybody's got time and, and uh, financial restraints and, and limits on what they can do. But if your goal is to be a better competition shooter, uh, I would get out and hit as many competitions as you can at any level. Uh, local levels is good you know, state, sectional areas, nationals. I mean, anything you can afford to go do with your time and money, I would go do it because you're gaining that experience uh, 
that you can't train on your own. Um, you know, the shooting aspect, fundamentals of marksmanship, yeah, we can, you know, we can train that. And that's something we can work on on the range. But that competition mindset and, and, and getting used to performing under those conditions, you just got to get out there and do it. Uh, the second part of his question, uh, do you just play it safe or go for it? Without any context to why he's asking that, I'll throw my own context in on it. Uh, I had the mentality for a lot of years that you get to the first stage of a big match, let's say a area championship, for example. Uh, my mentality or my mindset going into that stage would be, all right, Shannon, this first stage, we're here for two days. We've got 12 or 15 stages to go. Let's come out here. Let's see the site well. Let's get a good solid run under our belt, you know, no, not get any penalties. And all right, man, let's go. Let's get this thing rolling. Let's get a good, good solid start. And I think that's a mentality that a lot of people have. You don't want to, you don't want to shoot yourself in the foot, literally or figuratively, on the first stage of the match. Well, what I found is, you know, at area matches, for example, that there is no super squad. You don't shoot with your competition usually. So what I found when reviewing the results, doing my woulda, coulda, shouldas on the the week after, is that when my competition came to that stage that I started off on with my good solid, let's get a good ball rolling mentality. They smoked my ass on that stage by seconds, you know, three, two, three, four, five seconds on a stage um, for a couple of reasons. Number one, they didn't, maybe they didn't have that mentality I had, or more likely they didn't hit that stage at the same spot in the match that I did. That wasn't their first stage on Saturday morning when it's, you know, 50 degrees or something. They hit it mid stride. They were warmed up for lack of a better word and fired up and they threw down. So it took me a while to realize that. And then you got to get the calculator out. So then I started mathing it. And I got to looking at it like, well, look, if I come out here at uh, 90%, 95%, yes, I can throw down a nice stage. It'll be a top 10, top 12. Um, not going to be a stage win. Not going to rack up any penalties. But I'm still going to lose 18 to 22 points. You know, this is all hypothetically based on the size of the stage, obviously. Uh, so what I had to come to realize was like, look, man, this is not going to win. You can't come out with this pace and expect to win. You've got to come out 100% like you want to win this damn thing. And then you got to math it. So if I started looking at it, well, okay, so what if I do? Uh, there is a chance I could have a penalty. I could clip a no-shoot. I could have a miss. I could have, you know, a couple extra shots on steel. There's... A lot of things that could go wrong. But how wrong is that? So if I come out at that 100%, let's, uh, let's make up a stage here. Let's say we got a 120-point stage and it's a 12-second run or something. So, you know, if I come out here controlled, I'm going to be down not very many. And I'm going to be, you know, 14 seconds. If I come out here 100%, I might be down some more points, but I'm going to be 11 seconds. And I'm in the car, and I didn't math this out prior, so I can't math this out. But what you'll find is, even in a worst-case scenario, let's say even with a miss, the you know, as you know, with our time-based game, that time's super important. So as long as you're fast, you're not going to absorb the miss, but it's not going to hurt you nearly as bad as you think compared to coming out at your controlled pace. So you come out and you're you know down two points, and you're three seconds, four seconds off the pace versus coming out and you're down 18 or 20 points and you're 
three, four seconds faster. Yes, that's probably going to be a worse run, but not by orders of magnitude. It's not going to be, it's not going to tank your match. It's only going to be, you know, three, four, five, six points off of your conservative clean run anyway. And you can play with different stage sizes and numbers and times and things like that to prove it to yourself. But, you know, that's something I kind of had to figure out. Now, we're not going to go into the stage expecting to miss. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying don't be afraid to miss. You know, you want to come out aggressive. And in in many cases, it's not going to be a miss. It's going to be more points down than you otherwise would have been. It's going to be two extra shots on a popper or, you know, that Charlie Delta that could have been an Alpha Charlie or something like that. Um, so in, in terms of the, to answer that question, then play it safe or go for it. I say go for it, man. You, you know, you got to – I'm not talking about shooting 120%. I'm talking about, you know, coming out at match pace. Don't come out with the mentality of, hey, I want a nice conservative good run under my belt uh, to get this ball rolling. I think that's the wrong – I think that's the wrong mentality. You want to come out at the pace that you think is required to win, you know, whatever win means for you, whether that's a class win or a match win or beating your buddy or whatever. Uh, you want to come out of the, uh, the pace you think is required to do that and execute. And you know, then we're going to touch on this in the next question, but then don't beat yourself up if something goes wrong. If you have a miss or you have some bad points, don't beat yourself up too bad because you could have come out there conservative and, and been the same or very, very, very slightly better. Uh, so I hope that uh, gets to the point of your questions. The next one's from uh, Adolfo. This came in on Facebook. And he's talking about breaking the plateaus at the GM level. Uh, secondly, second part of the question is, were there moments in your career where you felt discouraged? And uh, how did you overcome? Uh, yes, yes, and yes. There's, you know, the, the GM level, I don't know. I don't know the history 100% on this. But as I understand it, the GM classification was enacted in order to have a, air quotes, professional division. And whether that's true or not, they've kind of lost control of what GM is. You know, if you you can make GM from the classification system, uh, you're, you're, if you can do that, you're a good shooter, obviously. You're a hell of a shooter. But as you well know, I'm not, I'm not sp- uh, spilling any secrets here. There are GM class shooters and there are shooters of caping capable of winning the nationals. Those are not the same shooters. And so there is another level up there. I don't know that we should have another classification or, you know, how, how, how that should work, but, um, there is another jump. And so depending on where you think that plateau is, uh, you know, if you're a grandmaster now, chances are you can shoot pretty well. You can hit a 25-yard plate. You can draw under second. Um, you know all your fundamental skills are good. Uh, so you have to determine what's holding you back, and it could be part of that last question we talked about: is it, is it performance on match day? Is it nerves? Is it the juice? Are you, you know, are you, are you doing one thing in practice or one thing in local matches and having a different result or outcome at a major match? If so, then yeah, you might want to believe it, man. But the juice is getting to you, uh, and I'll. You know, defer back to the other question. You got to get out there and work under those conditions as much as you can, all while trying to improve your shooting. Everybody can shoot better. Everybody can shoot faster. Uh, so you're, we're always working on that. But you have to identify uh, what it is that's keeping you from break, breaking through that plateau. And 
uh, I think it's coming to practice score, not there yet, but like with the USPSA, you know, easy win scoring summary, it's pretty simple, man. You can look at that compared to your competition and see where you're lacking. Um, you know, if you're shooting 85% of the points, that's there's your problem. Um, if you're shooting 95% of the points, but you're, you know, 20 seconds off the pace uh, overall for a major, there's your problem. Uh, so that, you know, you need to diagnose that first and then look at ways to, to start making those improvements and breaking through that plateau. If you're if you're the, the 20 or 30 seconds off the pace guy, well, you need to identify where that is. Probably coming into position, getting out of position, maybe a little bit on transitions. Those are the, you know, those are the typical spots. Uh, and if you're 85% of the points guys, well, you just got to work on your fundamentals. You need to be more, you need to be more accurate. And you know, you're not going to shoot 85% of the points and win major matches. So uh, that's, that's how I'd recommend uh, breaking through the plateaus. First off, you have to identify them and then come up with a plan to attack. If it's, if it's the juice, you need more experience. If it's one of your fundamentals, then you need to identify that area and work on it. Um, in terms of my career that I felt discouraged, yeah, heck yeah. There's, uh, I've told this story in, in a lot of classes, most of my classes, and it was 2006. And I had just, I was just kind of getting good, as I would call it. I was shooting on the super squad and national level, and people starting to figure out, you know, who I am. And in 2006 was probably my worst year of shooting that I can remember. At least it certainly stands out as the worst. Uh, but I won a lot of matches that year. And but part of the reason is I was shooting a lot of matches. And so I tell people, as I've heard me talk already, that if you want to be better at shooting matches, you got to get out there and shoot matches. So man, I'd shoot everything. I'd you know, all around the southeast and Tennessee and I was going to Texas and shooting a lot. You know, they weren't they weren't huge matches. They were fun matches and you're gaining experience. But they don't draw they don't draw a massive competition, frankly. So, yeah, I was winning a lot of them, but uh, I really felt I was shooting poorly. I was having a lot of misses that I didn't know, you know, mystery mics, as I call them. And you know, that had never happened to me before. Uh, walking around with the RO looking for hits like a newbie because I you know, didn't feel confident in my performances. And it took me a long time to figure it out and get my, to really put my finger on it. I, I, I changed the sights on all my guns. I went from fiber optic to, to black partridge sights. I, I changed the triggers, uh, changed the face of the trigger. Just, I was grasping, man, anything that I could think of that I could try to change to click. And I never really did. It wasn't, it wasn't equipment, astonishingly. Uh, it was nothing I could really put my finger on. Uh, and what I figured out was I was, you know, I was teaching quite a bit at that time. And as I said, I was getting to where I felt like I was getting to be pretty good. And I think that I thought that, hey, I'm Shannon Smith, man. I just go out there, sling lead around, look good on video, and their holes and magically appear on the targets. And so that offseason, whatever small offseason we have, I thought to myself, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try all this crap I've been telling my students for the last two or three years and see if that works. And it was really just getting back to the fundamentals. And it's, that was a big learning curve for me as a shooter. And it was a big lesson for me as an instructor is, man, it's about the little things. It doesn't matter um, what gear you use. It doesn't matter how you run from point A to point B. It doesn't matter what foot you step off, step off with. Uh, what matters are fundamentals of marksmanship, putting the side on the target, and working the trigger correctly. And 
So I really got back to the basics and bam, problem solved instantly. And it was just, um, you know, it was frustrating to have to go through that, but it was a great learning experience for me to, uh, to recognize that relatively early in my career and able to carry that on because I had much more successes after that. Um, I'll never forget the first match after that. The first match of the season was the Florida Open down here at Universal Shooting Academy. And this was way, way before I worked there. I was just there shooting. And I don't know at this at that point if I'd ever shot a major clean. Probably not. I don't. If I did, I don't remember doing it. Uh, but I set the goal that, man, I'm going to shoot the Florida Open clean. And the Florida Open at the time, and still is, uh, one of the most difficult technical matches that you'll you'll run into in the year in terms of difficulty of shots, massive distance, uh, small steel at distance. Uh, you know, it's just always been a really tough, tough match to shoot. Uh, so that was the goal. I was not going to let a shot go until I was confident that I was calling that shot and it was going to be a good shot. And you know, mission accomplished. I certainly didn't win the match. You know, I was shooting at a pace that you're certainly not going to win. But it was a victory for me, you know, the ability uh, to set that goal, to, to give myself a standard, go out there and do it despite everything inside you wanting to go faster and target focus and start hosing. Um, the ability to settle down and make that happen, make those shots uh, was awesome. And that just set me, you know, set me up for, for the rest of the year um, and for the rest of my career, really, just kind of learning uh, learning a lot of about what it's going to take to be successful and then putting it to work. And so again, that bleeds back onto our other question as well of, you know, identifying the deficit. What was, what was I doing wrong? I had to first figure that out because I didn't know. Figuring it out, planning a corrective action and uh, getting jiggy with it. Uh, so that's, that's my story of discouragement and, and overcoming. Um, hopefully that's helpful. One last question I was going to hit. This was uh, from Tony. How how did your strategy change for the Pro-Am versus USPSA? So Tony was a range officer, I think, if I remember correctly, at the Pro-Am this year. And uh, it's a good question, and absolutely it changes. But I don't know if strategy is the right word so much as fundamentals of marksmanship and, and picking the right one. Uh, I'm not 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 going to go into the full full class here on my fundamentals, but there are different ways that I engage targets. There are different ways that I use the sights and use my trigger uh, based on the difficulty of the shot and the need for speed. Um, so a couple of stories on this. The pro am's unique uh, in that the two biggest ways is it's it's part time or it's a fixed time stage, and you're limited to ten rounds in the magazine. So that really changes a lot. Number one, if you if you let a shot go, and it doesn't hit a target, uh, you've lost that round. I mean, in, in more ways than one, you've the time the clock's ticking. You've only got so much time to run the course of fire, and you've only got so much ammo, and you just lost a little bit of both. You lost a little bit of time, and you lost one bullet. Uh, so that's either going to cost you a plate in that position, or possibly cost you a reload, or could even prevent you from getting to another position where you could pick up way more than one plate. Uh, so those two things are really the um, you know, pivotal aspects of that match. And I've always, I've always had pretty good success at the Pro-Am, um, and I think because I have pretty good self-control. You know, I have the ability to, to, 
to tell myself, all right, dude, you know, you know, this is the pro-am, you know, this is the deal. So have the discipline, the discipline to make that happen. And that's uh, way, way easier said than done. Uh, so, for example, you take a large piece of steel at the at the recent program. They had some pretty big steels. I think they were 12 inch, maybe squares. At um, you know eight, nine, ten yards, you know that's a target that uh, that I could relatively easily hit with a target focus. Um, could probably hit it with a hammer style trigger pull. But being that it's the pro am, you know I'm going to up that fundamental level a little bit. Maybe I'm going to use that floating sight picture or that intermediate focus. Maybe I'm going to prep the trigger or certainly have a nice controlled power through technique. Uh, so I'm, I'm shooting the target with a different fundamental than I otherwise would if it were a USPSA match, let's say. Uh, so yeah, that's definitely how you're going to change, change your strategies. And again, I think of it more as in you know, fundamentals than, than strategy. Your strategy is still to go in there and perform well given the stage. Um, and then so let's extrapolate that out. You've, you've listened to all the, uh, all the podcasts. You've heard the story already, but IDPA changed their rules this year. Uh, and they doubled their, their point down penalty value. So it went from one half second for a point down to a full second for a point down. Well, that's a pretty major change. Uh, so last year at the Florida State match, which is pretty much the only IDPA match I shoot, I won the my division and I won the match overall by a lot. And I was 87 points down. This year, uh, under the new rule set, I won my division and I won the match overall by a lot. And I was 18 points down. And it was just simply changing the way I engaged targets, changing the fundamental I would use for the very same target just because they changed the rules. So now take that seven-yard, wide-open, ginormous IDPA target that under any other circumstances I would engage with a target focus and grip it and rip it. Now all of a sudden that big, ginormous target is not your target. The 8-inch or 10-inch or whatever it is down zero circle, that now has become my target. Well, you can't target focus and grip and rip an 8-inch target or a 10-inch target. So now I'm engaging that very same target with a floating sight picture and maybe, a, again, back to the prep or a controlled power through. Um, so again, another way I would use you know, changing the fundamentals in which I would engage a target just because of the game you're playing. And then take that one more level. Uh, we just finished the I-Core or the IRC International Revolver Championship here in my place last week. Um, and they use uh, the NRA D1, the tombstone target, and their their 10 ring is 8 inches. And then their B zone, they call it, is, I think, 11 or 12 inches. And then the remainder of the target, which is massive, is their C zone. Uh, so they have a similar system. They have one point down for a Bravo and two points down for a Charlie. Um, so basically, you have an 8-inch target with which to score. And you're shooting a revolver, so you don't have any extra shots anywhere, hardly. Uh, so you can't, even if you see yourself throw a Charlie, you can't really make, I mean, very, very few circumstances can you make it up. Um, so you really have to make those hits count. So, bam, right back to the same thing. How do you do that? You change your fundamental uh, for the same target at the same distance uh, that you would use if it were a USPSA or a, or a three-gun uh, event, for example. And then same thing on going the other direction. You look at, now that I said three-gun out loud, uh, going the other direction, you look at three-gun. That's just the opposite. Now we're, you know, two hits on target to neutralize. Um, now we're grip it and rip it. Now that 
that 18 or 20 or 25 yard target. Now I'm shooting that with a target focus and a power through when a USPSA match, I'd be using a, a, a you know, more of a sight focus and a, and a prep. Um, so yeah, absolutely. You make a change based on the game, but for me, it's really just changing the fundamentals. You give me the same target size, same distance, same gun. There's, you know, three or four different ways I'm going to use or three or four different fundamentals I'm going to use to engage that very same target based on whatever game I'm playing, whatever rules you're under. So if that answers your question, Tony, thanks for your work. I enjoyed shooting out there. And thanks everybody else. Hit me up on Facebook for your questions. And in the meantime, hopefully I'll see you on the range. Later. Welcome back, my friends, to the show that never ends. We're so glad you could attend. Come inside, come inside. Then behind the glass, as we